Welcome to the Giant Step Podcast with your host, Maurice Bernstein, as we take you on a journey into music and culture from the world of Giant Step. Hello and welcome to another episode of Giant Steps Podcast, where we take you on a journey into music and culture. I'm your host, Morris Bernstein. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Giant Step. And this week, we're going to be hearing from Giles Peterson, the DJ, curator, label owner, festival runner, author, and many, many other things. Uh, And we're going to be talking about what he's been up to in the year since lockdown. This episode was originally recorded as an Instagram live show uh, on March the 5th, 2021. So please excuse any noise glitches or um, audio issues because, as usual, the content is well worth listening to. Uh, And if you want to hear or find out more about Giant Step, please visit us at our website at giantstep.net or follow us on Instagram and get in touch with us. So please enjoy our conversation with Giles Peterson. There we go. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, brilliant. All right. Okay, sorry about that, I missed that. Just do it again, do it again, come on. <laughs> Are you picking me up? Yeah, I was picking you up. So I was saying, I was saying thank you for letting us indulge over the last week um, on, on the Giant Step socials with sort of like the old flyers, posters, recordings, and some videos. I know you were probably cringing while we were doing it, but... Um, you know, sometimes I think, you know, it, it's important to, uh, you know, for you to take a bow because you've done incredible stuff over the last, I don't know, 30 plus years. So, you know, I, I, 30, you, 40. 30 plus, I said 30 plus. <laughs> when we get into that. You know, the thing is, American DJs, American DJs always uh, always celebrate their birthday, don't they? I remember every time I come to America, it was like any excuse to get people out. The DJ, if it's your birthday, even if it's your wife's birthday, you'd put a party on and basically, you know, would, extra 20 people would turn up. And so, I always thought, oh, that's a bit, that's a bit, it's a bit, bit naff. But actually, I'm at the stage in my life now where I'm going to celebrate like 40 years of, D, of DJing. Absolutely. Right. And, and then um, also, you know, on a personal level, just over lockdown um your you know the the, the show on uh, radio six and I, i've told you this personally but i just want to say it on air um especially at the beginning was it kind of really helped me and i'm sure thousands of other people you know really get through it just knowing that you know the world had pretty much gone to shit but every mm. saturday you were still going in and making the show and then also with Worldwide FM, so so thank you for that. I mean, it, you know, it really was a was a big big boost for everybody. Um, you know, much appreciated. Well, I'm I'm glad I had uh, I'm I'm glad I had a purpose. Um, I think it, the days that I had off, I didn't know what to do, and I suddenly <laughs> thought, God, thank God, you know, the, the, the few days, the Sundays, you know, especially when there was no football on, you know, there was that right. period when there was nothing going on at all. Yeah, it was like, oh my. 
Yeah. Oh no, I mean hard, Saturdays. Hardcore. Saturdays without football, it was just like it was. It, if you had gone yeah. as well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do yeah. with myself. So it was brilliant, and you yeah. know, there was that one time where you, you know, everyone was going through it, but you called me up and you said, "How are you doing?" You know, and I'm like, "Well, how are you doing?" And then you you played a record for me and my family. And it was just really very thoughtful and kind, you know, because everyone was going through it. So, so thank you for that. Um, so, I mean, you know, you've been very, very busy over lockdown. Um, and I wanted, you know, I wanted you to talk a little bit about what you, what you've been doing. I mean, worldwide FM, you've literally tripled your numbers, which is incredible. Um, you know, you've got, the book coming out, you know, so to talk, you, you've got, you're always doing a lot of stuff, but just talk about some of the stuff that you've been doing over the last year. Okay. Yeah. Well, the mad thing actually that happened today was that the festival, I do three festivals. Um, I do a festival in France in uh, Sets, which is like near Montpellier, very nice sort of fishing village, small town. I've been doing that for 15 years and um, that unfortunately isn't happening this year because the French authorities have kind of, become quite a bit stricter actually than the UK they've been very sort of uh they put the rules down so far anyway that no festivals over 5,000 people um are going to be allowed um and that they've got to be sit down only and social distance so that kind of cuts out the festival in France and then the, I do a weekend in Italy which I hopefully will happen which is in where in Italy is that it's in Catania it's an amazing little spot outside of the town in a, in a in the Cati Generale, but we also do events around the town and sort of off the, the volcano, Mount Etna. There's some amazing sort of vineyards and farms and stuff there. So that's been really lovely for the last couple of years. Hopefully that will happen. That's quite small with with food as well. So we work with a lot of chefs. Oh, nice. And uh, we bring over Ed, Ed Wilson from Braun, who, um, who comes and um and brings his 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 team so you know and they do a kind of culinary exchange so it's like a musical exchange cultural thing it's really been a lot of fun doing that um and then the other festival that i do is the we out here festival which started in 2019 and we had an amazing first festival um just outside london near cambridge very much a time to celebrate you know this incredible renaissance i suppose of jazz and electronic music coming together it's been it's the best time you know i've ever had really in what musically it's all mm -hmm. coming together musically culturally you know joining the, the, the dots the conversation, as, as you say right joy yeah you know yeah. and it's just really encouraging <laughs> you know it's an encouraging time and there's so much sort of to celebrate musically and i think in a way you know music is of has become more important um, over the last year and the significance of community and and all of those things. So, yeah, so I did We Out Here a couple of years ago. The headline was, um, was well, on the Sunday was Gary Bartz, Saul Williams. Um, who else was there? Dwight Tribble. Um, that was at the closer. They did Celestial Blues, I've Known Rivers, wow. and it was probably the greatest moment of, of my, like, curator, curator life, basically. It'd been raining for a couple of days, and... Um, and yes, it was like, you know, the, the weather had got good and everyone had a brilliant time. And so that was a beautiful ending. And, uh, and, and so last year was meant to be the sort of the second one. But um, obviously that got cancelled because of um, the, the, the COVID. But this right. year, um, because Boris, our good friend Boris, 
Um, well, he is right now. Um, when he announced that <laughs> Boris Johnson, for those who don't know who Boris is, yes, yeah, yeah, you know, fucking it up. Um, oh. But anyway, he, 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 get um, me started he's giving us it, some good news. <laughs> but anyway, if, if, if it does come through like he's promising, June the 21st is going to be back to normal. And so that gives us two months to get our festival going. So he's given the red light, the green light to all the festivals, um, pretty much. So we, 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 we put tickets on sale last week and we sold out today. That's so amazing. That's how much. That's incredible. Yeah. 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 I mean, congratulations. Every festival in England is selling out, by the way. So. Well, people <laughs> are just, you know, they, they, people are going crazy. I mean, you know, they just can't. Yeah. I mean, I'm even thinking of coming over for it. It's like, you know, it's because we, we're not going to have anything uh, <laughs> here for a while. Um, right. And who, yeah. who do you have well, on the bill? Who do you have on the Well, we've got, we got some good ones. we got some good ones, you know. Um, the, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's pretty much everyone that was playing last year. Um, obviously, we're very lucky with, you know, a whole heap of great British jazz acts from the Sons of Kemet to Nubaya Garcia to some up-and-coming new groups, Alpha Mist, all of that stuff. Some really good deep people have floating points, mm-hmm. um, you know. But what's good about it as well is that it kind of goes into those kind of uh, underground sort of uh, drum and bass. But, you know, we've got people like Fabio and Groove Rider playing and Randall. Oh, wow. And then we've got the Garage Lots, yes, and Lofa. So all those, like, really important sub-scenes that kind of make it make sense. I don't really want to go to a jazz festival. You know, yeah. I love the jazz. I love hearing comments coming and seeing all that stuff. That's amazing. But I'm about connecting the dots between, you know, club culture and live music. So that's what I've always really done in a way. And I think from the days of Dingwalls and the Wag Club and everything that I've done, the jazz bops, mm-hmm. all the festivals, for me, it's always been about this marriage between music musicians and djs and the audience and the community that comes with it it's funny and generations I'm... and generations as well because you you've managed to join the dots through generations bringing back a lot of those artists who people didn't know about not only bringing them to a new generation but bringing a new you know and vice versa re- resurrecting mm. careers in many ways mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah well i'm a fan you know you know that i mean i you know, I, I'm, you know, I've done all year. I've just been buying records, right? That's, that's what I've been doing. I, I haven't stopped really. And, and that's what I get my biggest pleasure from still, you know, and when I can find, you know, I don't know if I can knock on Kalia's door in Chicago and, uh, or have a cup of tea with Larry Hurd and, you know, they're happy to see me. I'm happy to see them. And then Terry gives me an acetate of a Charles Stepney album that was actually intended to come out, but never really came out in that form. Those are the things that kind of give me pleasure because, you know, it's culture and it's joining the dots and it's really celebrating those people that gave us such a, a great platform, really. And in a way, back to the festivals and where it's at now, well, I think one of the reasons it's really great is because the new generation of musicians, the band, yes. never had it. So when you yes. were doing Acid Jazz, and when the Jazz Warriors and the Courtney Pines and the Steve mm-hmm. Williamson's and the Steve Coleman's mm-hmm. and all that, we were trying to make those connections, you know, uh, um, you know, Branford Marsalis mm-hmm. and all of that. There was still, it was, we were still in different corners. We were trying yeah. to make it work, but it wasn't, fluid fluid because right. it needed them to understand us and us to understand them and for there not to be any kind of snobbiness about it and i think the new generation you know they've basically the last 10 years 
they've just they've they've learned the diy aspects of putting on parties of getting djs learning the craft of djing seeing it as something that is an art form just like playing the saxophone is yeah so and they grew up on it as well i mean they they, they were probably listening to that music before many many of them got into the jazz that they then went on to play you know it's like it's their contemporary music yeah 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 so it's 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 in it's in their dna and yes. and, and and somehow now as a result, the music coming out of that is actually really interesting for the first time in a while. Up until now, it's been about how to kind of prove yourself as a player, if you're a jazz musician. And now they've all done that because there's enough of a, of a, of a network here where those players can play daily and jam daily and create daily. So they're good. They're really good. And then within that, there's the whole thing about, you know, about do it yourself and about yep. sort of putting it on and yep. creating your zine and your event and your show on the on your online radio station and, so, and being able to put music out easily whereas when you know back when we were starting out it was much much harder you needed so help to do the heavy lifting with distribution and manufacturing and even recording going into a studio and recording not everybody could do that whereas now you can go like you know you know song to song to global like that uh with very little money yeah so you know it's difficult to sign them now if you're on a, if you, if you're <laughs> right. a record label <laughs> that's, that's the well, to, that. talk, talk a little bit about the record label because you have brownswood records i mean you you've been in the record business for for many for, for many years you you had you, you know you, there was acid jazz there was talking loud and 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 for the last what like 15 years it's been brownswood has it been yeah, pretty okay. much that. Yeah, I started off in in the eighties doing compilations, which would which I remember was basically Freedom you know, principle mixtape. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah. lots of stuff with as Jews, Blue Note, blah blah blah. Did loads of that, um, and then um, started up a first record label. I did was actually a label called BGP. Right. With a DJ called Baz for Jazz. Yeah. And it was Baz and Giles Peterson. So that was BGP. And that was basically the first time I went to America, actually, because it was a record label called Ace Records, who mm -hmm. own, like, they buy up old labels. Yeah. They had all the catalogs. Yeah. They have the catalogs and they bought up Prestige and, um, and fantasy mm -hmm. um catalog. And the guy who ran Ace in the UK, he knew about me because I'm these jazz compilations. And I was only like 19 or 20 and I was obviously opening up the door of this old music to a new young public of, uh, of clubs, of DJ, um, of just clubbers. And so he thought, let's get this kid in and see what he can do. And he sent me to San Francisco. He sent me to Berkeley. I've never been to America before. And, um, and what year was this? And yeah, he said, this was, I mean, um, wow. I mean, it's before, it's before Acid House, right? So we're right. talking about 86. 85? 87, 88, yeah, around, around that time. And um, so I was really young. And um, I remember my mate, um, I used to play a residency in a place called the Belvedere in Richmond. And uh, Somebody was, just put that up on the uh, on the chat, the Belvedere oh, in they? Richmond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and um, <laughs> so Richmond isn't that far from Heathrow. And one mm -hmm. of the guys who came to the club said to, um, his, he worked in the actual, um, in the tower. In the As tower Heathrow. Heathrow. Uh, Heathrow, and he said, um, and I said, I'm going to America like tomorrow or something. He goes, really? You know, what flight are you on? Blah, blah. And, uh, and then the next got my plane to 
San Francisco and it was really great. You know, I had a really big seat and um, they gave me really nice food. And I was like, oh, this is all right. I, I love traveling and stuff. And I, I, I hadn't realized that he'd upgraded me. So my first trip to America was, was like really In first class, yeah. And on the way back, <laughs> ever since the back of the plane. Turn left. I was definitely back in the plane on the way back, right. yeah. But it was like, right. I, he, he, he gave me quite a happy lesson. Um, a happy moment that day, but uh, right. but yeah, I went over to to San Francisco and I spent a week um, in the in the in the um, just their archives, basically going through like Riverside records, Bobby Timmons wow. albums, discovering that in jazz quintet albums that had never come out, just like in my element, you know, because Milestone is also a really great label, you know, oh, all that stuff yeah. by like. Mm -hmm. Laura Purim and the yep. Brazilian stuff and there's so much stuff so I basically was just dropped into a kind of amazing record treasure shop. trove yeah treasure trove yeah mm -hmm. and um and so yeah that was that so I went back did loads of comps and then I wanted to sort of start putting out music of bands that were actually you know because the, the compilations was more like my hockey was kind of like learning and then but then because there was a great scene of bands coming through you know, this is a, the precursors to the brand new heavies and to the Jamiroquais, yeah. the beginnings of an acid jazz movement. Um, I wanted to start putting records out. And so, yeah, that's when I set up acid jazz and um, and did that. And then, um, you know, that was great. But it was it was out the back of my flat. You know, every penny that was spent on all those records was by DJing six or seven nights a week. You know, I didn't stop, I DJed like, the only day I had off was probably Tuesday. Um, and so all that money would go back into the record label. It was, that's how it was, everybody had jobs, nobody could like do this for a living. Right, you know? but did you even think when you started putting out those, that you could actually make a living out of it? That Not really, the, to be honest yeah. with you, I didn't realize I didn't realize I was going to actually, I, I was just bluffing it, really. As we all were, you know. We all were. We all were. We're avoiding getting a real know, job. Exactly. <laughs> I had no idea yeah, so, what I was doing. I still don't, but, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, it's, it's, it's been weird. It's been, I mean, in a way, that's, that's one of the lovely sort of charms of, of, of what it was about. You know, we didn't mm -hmm. quite realize what it was that we were doing it was all about community and what i knew at the time is i knew that if i wanted this to grow um, i needed to go and work with a bigger label and mm -hmm. i needed to work internationally because i knew that um doing it on my own we none of us were really prepared to be mentored actually we were so pig-headed and sort of determined that we knew what was going on that, and, and and left field as well because the the directions that you were going in you were plowing new furrows i mean it, it just nobody would have recommended for you to do any of that stuff like oh i want to work with this type of music these type of artists they'd be like forget it you know yeah no in retrospect there was nothing there was no comparison to it you know but there mm -hmm. was a there was a movement um there were clubs i was the guy who played in the back room right so you know, I was playing all those clubs with people like Pete Tong and Paul Oakenfold. They were in you the know, main room. Yeah. They were in the main room and every now and again I'd, I'd play in there, you know, but really I was, I was having much more fun at the back. Mm -hmm. And um, and then we all ended up going to Ibiza together. Nicky Holloway was a really important person here in the UK because he was the guy who put on a lot of events and sort of quite offbeat stuff, which was quite enjoyable. He kind of connected fashion and, and, and the kind of soul scene together mm -hmm. in the West. And then he organized mm -hmm. these trips to Ibiza. 
which is when, you know, obviously everyone took MDMA or ecstasy and suddenly, um, you know, from smoking um, to, you know, to dropping pills. Yeah. <laughs> Funny enough, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do that. I was just quite happy in my little, um, in the back, just sort of, you know, watching it and listening to, you know, um, Miles Davis and Bossa Novas and, you know, jazzy kind of rare grooves. And, 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 and so when that happened, um, that was a real massive split in the movement because it was kind of like you, if you went and took the, the drugs, then you basically enter the door, which was acid house. Right. And that, and, and that was basically where the scene went from being a kind of one scene to being like several scenes, which is when I then kind of wanted to have the energy of that acid house because it was exciting. Yeah. But drugs. So we were all about the natural high. And that's and, and we called what we were doing, um, you know, acid jazz. And so that's really how acid jazz came along, really. Eventually, yeah. everyone found themselves in the same clubs, by the way. Yeah. It took about I a mean, year. But as Rob it, said to me, my MC, Rob, yeah, Rob said to me, my MC says, if you'd taken ecstasy with the others in 1986 or something, it would have been very interesting to see the direction that I would have taken, um, you know, in terms of, as a DJ, you know, because I think it kind of was quite an important turning point at that time. It, it was a huge turning point. I mean, I remember I, I moved to the States just before the summer of love and, you know, from Manchester, going to the Hacienda pre-Acid House and then coming back to England when the whole MDMA scene had exploded and seeing the change uh, and seeing the change of mood in people, like from being scared you're going to get beaten up by someone to somebody coming up to you and like hugging you. It was, a, it was just a huge shift. It, it, it was a, a huge watershed and getting more people into that type of music who were not going to dance clubs back then. Exactly. I mean, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, football, football changed, culture changed. You know, you'd go yeah. to games and they were on E from the night yeah. before and suddenly it was a much less aggressive atmosphere. Yeah. And you'd go to places like Bournemouth and so, certain clubs on the South Coast, because I don't mm. know why, but over down there, they were sort of quite pilled up and, and, and happy, you know. Mm -hmm. So um, it changed everything. So yeah, it's quite, it was. A, it, I mean, I, I have to say, I've just noticed that Goldie's on, and um, yeah. I just, I'm so pleased. I mean, he's he's an, a legend, total uh, and, legend, and the United fan, right? Is he a United fan? I, didn't I know think that. I've seen Goldie at some games. He's not a football guy. He's, he's not. A, he's, he's, I, he's I, a, I, Goldie, are you United supporter? <laughs> he's dropped out. <laughs> he's gone. <laughs> um, so, um, you know, and now you've got Brownswood Records. Um, what, what, what do you have coming out on Brownswood that uh, uh, you're excited yeah. about? Yeah, well, you know, um, I, we've been busy. We've been very busy this, uh, this last year, luckily. Um, yes, enough, he's a red. Oh, is he? Oh, yeah, no. yeah, I told you. <laughs> I've seen him at games. Oh, really? Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, before lockdown, I did something. Talking of legends, uh, before lockdown, one of one of my um, one of my loveliest friends is uh, is Bluey from Incognito. And story actually with me goes back to the days I had a pirate radio station in my back garden. I was a kid, I was sixteen, and my mum and dad let me go and sort of start building weird transmitters in the back garden shed. And I phoned up, or I wrote to all my favourite bands at the time. Um, all British funk bands, jazz funk bands, and none of, to see if they'd come and be interviewed by me. 
of course none of them did because i was this sort of you know because you're like some you know I like, about, yeah, yeah. I, I was just in a dream world and i was broadcasting to just the, you know the top of my street but bluey answered anyway and he lived in tottenham i lived in sutton and he came all the way and and i was only 17 i think at the time and brit funk is a kind of british movement that was around the time of punk music so when punk was coming between 76 and 81, that kind of thing, at that time, there was a parallel underground scene happening in the UK, which is yeah. not really written about, which yeah. was based out of a load of British bands that wanted to be like American funk bands. Yeah. And yeah. so just like punk musicians were learning to play the bass and learning yeah. to play, there was this kind of DIY aesthetic about Brit funk. And that was what was good about it. And out of that came groups like Freeze, Light of the World, High Tension, Incognito. Mm -hmm. So um, when Tyler goes, this is my influence, or I owe a lot to British funk, Brit funk, I was like, Bluey. And all those groups. Bluey was a found, founder member of Freeze, who gave us Southern Freeze. He right. was a founder member of Incognito, Light of the World. He was part of Central Line. And he's gone on to produce and continue maintaining his, you know, his nurse ever since. So yeah. I was like, mate, let's make a record. But the problem is, when I, I didn't want it to be a clean and shiny record. I wanted it to be DIY. And, to be and sound, sound like the original, Sonic. yeah. Sort of. So what I was doing in the studio saying to the guy, no, 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 stop now. Because if you're talking about, if you're talking to musicians, they just want to sound better and better. They're, it's natural, isn't it? You want to be good. And I was saying, I don't want you to be good. I want you to be like four and a half out of ten. Right. And so right. they were playing at eight out of ten level. There'd be a mistake. I said, that's, the, that's what I want. I was looking for the mistakes, yeah. right? Do that again. So, yeah. so we, made a re we made the record. This is the record. It's just arrived. And yeah, and that's me. That's me when I was like 20 there. And that's, this is Bluey when he was about, oh, no, hang on. That's us on the Pirates. That's the Pirates thing. Um, yeah, that's Bluey there. Anyway, we yeah. made a record and it's called Strata. Oh, and, nice. And it's, it's just coming out. It's coming out in two weeks' time. So Fantastic. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember, I, remember like, I was like 15 or something, watching Top of the Pops and seeing Freeze on Top of the Pops. And it was so different to all the other music that was around. And yeah. they were using congos, guitars. And I was like, what the hell is that? And it just became, I just became obsessed by them. Um, and then just obviously like, yeah. you know, dove into, dived into the whole, uh, you know, like the, the, that jazz funk scene. And then you had level 42 come out and stuff, but it was, it, it, yeah, it was the same as punk in a way that it was a radical shift and it was very influenced by what was happening in America, just as punk was, you know? Um, so yeah. that, that, that's, that's brilliant. I, I, you know, we don't have a huge amount of time. I want, I want to hear about your book because that is really exciting yeah. 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 So yeah tell us about your book well, okay guys. so basically <laughs> over, over lockdown it's, it's, it's not it's kind of a book right so it's basically um over over lockdown the first lockdown as you were saying at the beginning i i i presented 80 radio shows um over that period so i was on the radio every day and uh every day on worldwide fm and then on saturdays i was asked to do a four-hour show on the bbc because right you extended the, yeah yeah a lot of the presenters couldn't come in um they were you know they it, it, it was um yeah you know so you had to be a key worker to go into to, into town and by being yeah BBC, you were you said, were actually going to work i, 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 I was going to were, work yeah, yeah yeah it was a mad time and, and literally you know it was like a ghost building you go in the bbc there's no one around 
and my producer and me, and he was allowed to come in my studio with me. Other shows, they weren't allowing the producers in. But because I don't mix, I don't, I don't do radio in the traditional way where you sit behind the desk and you, and, and, and you have someone do everything for you and write everything for you. I go into the studio with like 80 tracks and I, I, I play like I'm doing a, a club set. So I, I stand up, I mix the music live. And so he has to be in the room with me to put out things like the news and all that sort of stuff. Anyway, the right. fact was we we're both doing it. He was wearing his mask and I was basically show. And obviously there was a bigger audience than normal, but it was even more important at that time. As it's and there was no football. Degrees. And yeah, it was, <laughs> there, was no, there, was, there was no football, exactly. So it was great. And, um, and, and for me, it was really interesting because it was kind of like it came at a time when, when I've sort of got 30 years behind me in a way of history in radio. And, um, and in a way, I can kind of, um, I don't know, I've got more context and in, in everything. And by being on the BBC daytime, um, you know, there's a lot of people who don't know about all the stuff we're talking about, you know, regular people, because it's still yeah. outside of music. So yeah. anyway, the fact of the matter was, you know, I was playing at the BBC every Saturday and the audience was big and and loads of people were dying. You know, loads of musicians were dying everywhere. So, you know, one day it was Manny Dibango, the next day it was Anadja and Gums, the next day it was, you know, McCoy Tyner. Mongo Santa Maria. Yeah, Mongo, it was like, yeah, just, it was, yeah. Every day. So I, my Still show withers. became a kind of, it became a kind of obituary. Um, yeah. it, it became a little bit of a sort of um, celebration in a quiet way. You know, the tone had to be right. Um, and so, yeah, so it was a very magical time, actually, in a weird way to be a broadcaster of music where you could really see how music could have impact and how it could help. And yeah, so it was a great sort of platform at that time for me. And it was full on. And lots of stuff was happening, of course, which led to Black Lives Matter and all of what was going on around that. So the book and continues to go on. So the book really is, is, is a kind of it's a sort of diary um, of that time for me. And it basically uses the radio shows and the playlists as a kind of, uh, it's, it's, that's the thread. And then the whole of what was going on, the narrative of, of COVID, of the world, and, 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 and obviously the social change that was going on. So yeah, the book is 600 pages. It's wow. massive. It's massive, right? And wow. It's today, yeah. So, so when's it coming out? Um, how, can, how can people buy it? And, you know, yeah, is, is it like a coffee table? Book? We're going to have it, stuff. Up. Yeah, it's a kind of, you know what? It's a folly. It's a folly. It's, a, it's Some people are going to go, oh, my God, this is deep. Other people are going to go, mate, you're taking the piss. It's like, why would you do this? So it's, it's not, hello, my name is, and I was born here. It's, it's very much based on 2020 um, and um, 80 radio shows. And, yeah, a year that we'll never, ever forget obviously a year that's changing you know the planet culture people everything so i wanted to kind of just get it down and um you know celebrate the music and the people and the culture you know there's so throughout the book there's also a kind of photo essay by doby so doby was a really important part of the um, early hip hop the scene. producer yeah doby the of producer yeah, of course doby yeah. the producer yeah yeah 
London Posse, all that. And he's, a, yeah. he's, he's an amazing photographer. So oh. he basically, um, you should check out Dobie Photo if anybody's keen, keen to check him out. He's, he's, he's got amazing talent and, uh, you know, he's a special person. He's the ghost dog of East London, basically. You know, Denzel yeah. Washington, he's that kind of figure. He goes on his own and he's just an amazing beat maker, thinker. And anyway, we, his photography is in the book. There's um, the guy who's actually designed the book is a, is a guy called Hugh Miller known as who's brilliant as well it's really worth following and i got paul bradshaw to edit the book who was the guy of course you know straight no chaser who had mm -hmm. straight straight no chaser for years so yeah so yeah i'm very excited about that i have to say i hope it does it come across i'm, I'm just pleased it's going yeah no i mean well you always get excited right giles you, you 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 know you're a very excited person yeah. and, and i i'm definitely going to get one of those that, that's very exciting for us. Very, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. So, you know. No, it's not. That. Someone just said, who was the ghostwriter? It's not, it's not a ghostwriter. <laughs> I've just read someone. No, ghost, ghost dog. <laughs> I ghost wrote writer. it. <laughs> yeah, um, ghost so dog, ghost dog. The, the juxtaposition with lockdown is that, you know, you spent so much of your life pre-lockdown just traveling all the time. You know, constantly traveling, always on the road, doing gigs, obviously doing you know, the radio yeah. and records and all that, but still traveling. And for the last year, you, you've done no DJ gigs, as far as I know, uh, and no, no real. Tra How's that been for you? I mean, that's like a, a interesting pause in your life in a way. Yeah. Well, I've done some virtual gigs, which are horrible. That's what I say. I'm not going to do <laughs> any more, right? I've done a couple of these things, and they're more fun because I'm speaking right, to one person. Right, good. I hope you're not going to say that was horrible too. But <laughs> no, I did a DJ gig last week for Beatport. They're lovely, and it was for the GTA because I did the yeah. Worldwide FM on GTA. Um, yeah. It was actually, quite a lot of fun doing that last year. Um, yeah. And yeah. Uh, I did a show uh, last week for Beatport. They just said, "Oh, can you do a mix?" And so I said, "Oh, yeah, come on." Um, and and I was kind of in denial. I didn't prepare anything, and I just literally came in and sort of did it, and it was all right. And it, and it went out last week. But mate, you know, getting yourself in the zone—it's a bit like being a footballer, right? And suddenly not playing with no, no in front of no crowd. No, well, no, but no preseason training. More to the point. So you're kind—it's of, right. like you've been thrown into an FA Cup final, and you got to play the full ninety minutes plus injury time and extra time and penalties, and you haven't played for months. And I think DJing is a bit like that because it's like, right. you know, you need, you, you're just always in that thing. And so being in front of a mixer with all these cameras was kind of a bit weird. But, you know, you get used to it. But no, I am, I, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to, to going back to DJing. But I have to tell you, Morris, I needed a break. I needed a break after all those years. So it, 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 it yeah. did come at a good time for me. The weird thing for me at the moment, though, is that I, I, I go to bed really early now, right? So it's kind of like, I go to bed like... Oh, yeah, that's man, why we had even, to move... Even earlier. Just, just so people know, that's why we had to move this talk, because originally it was going to be yeah, at 5 yeah. p.m. my time, 10 p.m., but that's past your bedtime now, so... It's past my bedtime, mate, you know, because I get up so early. I'm up at, like, 5, 5 The other person who's up as early as me is actually Goldie. Goldie's up early with his yoga. But right. um, I'm up early, aren't you guys? So basically, I've been, this is, this is you know, I've been up already more than 12 hours today, Morris, yeah. for this. Yeah, yeah, preparing for this. <laughs> but no, it's been, it's, yeah. <laughs> 
it's been a good time to be it's been a good time to be um well you know people aren't used to seeing me every day in my right. family right and um, i think it's freaked them out a little bit <laughs> you know <laughs> <laughs> no, but it, I, think, I, I think I think it's it, it's I think you know obviously there's been a lot of hardships and and deaths and problems, but you know the, the for me the positive side is it's definitely given us the ability to reflect a little bit about just what we're doing in our lives instead of just being on that sort of like that that Ferris you know that that uh, hamster wheel the whole time and we're just before we know it like we're you know because we're getting on a little bit as well. so um you know uh, you know the funny thing about this as well on getting on the, the getting on thing what's weird as well is that when i was djing yeah you know i'd be out there literally i mean even like before lockdown i was doing things like going to graz in austria on a friday night DJing, this is about two hours drive from Vienna. I'd be DJing from one till three in the morning. I'd be driving back to Vienna for like four. By half four, half four, I'd be arriving in Vienna in a hotel for two hours. Then I'd get up, no sleep, get on a plane at eight, go back to London for like, get to London about half, 10, 11. And then I'd hang around and do my radio show. That was normal for me, you know, at the age that I was in. So, but here's the funny thing, right? So I was living that life for like, 30, 40 years, like three, four nights a week DJing, traveling, all that sort of stuff. And I do one year off where I have to sleep every night and, you know, I'm eating well. I've got time to exercise and do all my stuff. I have aged so much. It's like, you know, I, I really feel like I've got older. No, yeah. <laughs> you, so you still so, look 16. I mean, you're, you know, you're, you've got well, the, you know, the eternal look of youth in you. And, you know, and, yeah. and and I think in, in general in our scene, I think it's something about the music, but everybody pretty much looks great. I mean, you know, like a lot of the DJs who are on here at the moment, you know, everyone, you know, it's, so I think, I think it's the music that, um, and the, and the energy that that gives us really sort of gives us life and, and vitality. Um, talk, talking about that, um, you know, we're, we're celebrating, obviously Giant Step celebrating its 30th anniversary and, you know, you, you know, you were a big inspiration on on Jonathan and I starting Giant Step. I mean, that was the thing that Jonathan and I bonded on, that he, he knew about Dingwalls as, as, as I did too. Um, mm. You know, we've done so much stuff together over the years. I wanted to see if you, you had any highlights that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> well... <laughs> I, well, you know, yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, first times I'd go to New York and I'd hang out with you guys and you'd take me about everywhere. Um, you know, I mean, that first Jamiroquai show, you know. Which you DJ that. Yeah. I DJ that and he borrowed my Adidas like, vintage tracksuit top that I never got back. From, he never by got the back. Way. All right. Jay, that, if that, you're that, listening, yeah, I, I want it back. That's a rare piece, man. Um, but yeah, you know, the brand new heavies versus the brand new heavies versus Galliano night um, at the village in... gate, which, which was actually that was at the village gate, and that that was your yeah. New York debut DJing. And yeah, I, I, I want to just talk a little bit about the fact that I, I, I was asking you to DJ from the day we opened the club, and you were always refusing to do it. And you would come and you would be in New York because you were there doing talking loud business. And you go, I can't DJ. I'm not DJing. I'm not DJing. Why wouldn't you DJ? 
You're it's the self really weird. You know? Well, it's, 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 this is the Francois Kevorkian thing, because Francois always said to me, can you play a body and soul? Mm-hmm. And, you know, obviously, whenever I'd come to New York, I'd always sort of do my thing. And I always made sure I was there on a Tuesday night for Sound Factory Bar for, for Louis. Well, Wednesday for Sound Factory. Yeah. Wednesday, Wednesday, Wednesday for Sound yeah. Factory Bar. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, Tuesday for, um, for Francois at Cielo later. But, yeah, I'd be there for that. And then I'd always make sure I was there for the Sunday to do Body yeah. and Soul because it was like, you know, obviously a very important part of being in New York, right? You go clubbing and you listen to all these amazing DJs. And I was just sort of like, there's no way I can play in the same DJ box as these guys. I mean, they were so sort of monstrously, they were, they were beyond for me. And so Francois always said to me, man, um, you know, I'm not going to let any foreign DJ play until you've played at my club, right? <laughs> so um, I never did it. I never played. And I don't think any English DJs ever played at Body and Soul because I had never he always said that you'll have to play before i invite any other english but, i don't but, know if that's true i like to think it is but, but you also i think you felt that you didn't think people would appreciate the music that you were playing your style you you were quite nervous that you wouldn't get a you know you, yeah i mean you know there's so many I've times always been nervous, you, you, you yeah you finished a set and i've gone giles that was amazing you're like oh shit oh, oh, oh I fucked up oh really yeah. really you're not just saying that it's like no it was great you know <laughs> yeah I think I think it took a while for me to appreciate that you know I was able to offer something which was unique um in the way I approached the art of DJing but I think for many years I just watched these guys and you know it's typical isn't it it's like you know if you're a jazz musician playing in the village gate if you're british it's going to be a major deal yeah. so being invited by louis or by any of those guys to go and them was always quite it took a while for me to kind of realize um that you know i had something and yeah so in a way that's kind of yeah but yeah i was i was i was daunted by new right. york yeah and uh, and then and then something happened and I, I loved it, and 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 the audience response was very different to anywhere else in the world, and it was amazing, you know. And if you played in these clubs and there was the dancers, obviously my other memories, which I'll never forget, you know, for the rest of my days, is that is every year that we'd have um, in Miami for the Winter Music Conference at a time oh, yeah. when, you know, everything the, the, was coming the halcyon together. days, as they say, right? They they were the yeah, halcyon days. They, it was magic man and you know and we'd put on these events and you'd see the Gotham project or you'd see represent you'd go and listen mm-hmm. to king brit and josh wing have all the well we used to do blokes. we used to, king yeah. king's on king's on the chat but the back room in the room it was it called the room we every year we yeah. would be there for king's set and we loved it you know like but king um, and josh I mean, king and josh yeah josh was in the main room um, over and by but I was looking at a um, a flyer. For, we actually posted it for one of the sunset soirees that we did with Maxi and Kim Kimco, um, mm-hmm. and the, the lineup was incredible. It was you, uh, Bob Sinclair, um, uh, Ron Trent, Norman Jay, Pete Heller, Julius Pap. I mean, like, talk about sort of like all these different you know, styles of dance music, but working mm-hmm. so well and everybody and DJ Yellow as well was on a bit, you know, just it, it was like a coming together of all these different DJs and styles. 
yeah it was it was a very magical time and uh you know there was a golden era there's a when mate it was ridiculous and you know if you just spent the winter in england everyone the industry would go you know so it wasn't just an industry it was like the club the the, the, the dancers the clubbers so you'd meet everyone it's like all these little micro scenes would meet up in this kind of lovely sort of florida miami it was just weird you know and so yeah I felt it, so it, it was the same for New Yorkers as well, because we, you know, we were, it was the first sunshine we'd seen in, in months. And yeah, I mean, it was just, it, it was, it was magical. I, I yeah. don't know if I could still do that, but, uh, cause you know, it'd yeah. be five nights of, uh, you know, going out every single night, all night, all day, but it, it, it was, it was magical. The Raleigh, the Delano. I remember, uh, the the new Reconsol um, launch party in 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 Miami where um, they had the party and they had the live band and uh, Louis asked me to introduce the band and uh, I was really scared about that because we'd been up all night we and had yes to, <laughs> we had <some> <laughs> I think we came straight from a club to go there yeah, I remember I yeah. Getting, I was getting super angled out before yeah. I went on stage. I think I did the worst ever presentation ever. Yeah. That was great. That was actually um, 98 because it was the year or 99. It was a couple of years after the actual New Eurekan launch party um, at, at, at the Shore Club. Uh, where they, it was like they were in this sort of ampl outdoor amphitheater style club. Yeah. 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 Down, yeah, quite a bit further down, yeah. yeah all but, the way um, down, that's right, yeah. that's right. Danny Tenaglia all night long, of course, you can't miss that one. All day long. <laughs> <Get your face. laughs> and, and, and while we're reminiscing, I, I think we also, you know, we were just talking about New York and Soul. I mean, you know, that is probably the, you're correct, it was at OPM, it was the 10th anniversary, whoever just put that up there, correct. Um, I think we really need to uh, just talk a little bit about that project because it was you who really, um, you inspired that project to come together um, before, you know, I got involved, you know, you, you had already sort of like, to talk a little bit about how you got that to happen. Okay, so yeah, I, I, I was doing a club on a Monday night with James Lavelle um, called That's How, That's it, how is. it Is. Yeah. So there'd been a bit of a transition, you know, it's a few years after Acid House um, and things are changing a little bit. I'd done a lot of years at Dingwalls, which was a really important early club for me. And um, yes, yeah, so I started doing a Monday night. The music was really exciting. You know, it's the birth of the beginnings of trip hop and massive yeah. attack and Porter's head and DJ shadow. And, you know, obviously we were all house heads and we all loved sort of dance music. And suddenly this record arrived called The Nervous Track. And it was a record that came out and uh, it was really brilliant. It was like different. And uh, it was a little bit too different, I think, for the sort of regular house heads to play it. But it was yeah. made for Bar Rumba. It was just the tune that would just, you know, it just joined and, and, and ticked all the boxes. So I started, got in touch with Louis and Kenny and I was like mate is there any more of this sort of stuff and then we started having a chat and developing the idea realizing that there was something to be done which could kind of really make a kind of experimental record for Kenny and Louis not a Masters at Work record but yeah. a record where they went down their different alleyways because of course you know They're Kenny and his hip-hop yeah. the connections with Jazzy Jeff 
you know, and of course the Latin and, 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 you know, Hector Laveau being Louis uncle and all that stuff. And I was like, Oh my God, these guys have got it all. So it was really a case of just like, let's make an album. And it took a while for us to kind of really, for me actually to kind of convince them. And, you know, they were so big. Yeah, they were, yeah. They were like, you know, who's the biggest DJ in the world today? You know, they were like that plus plus plus. And, and when it came to remix production, they were doing everybody, Madonna, like it would. They were the guys. They were the go-to yeah, guys. Yeah. And in those days, they used to get paid, man. You know, so but you'd pay you'd pay masters of work. I don't know, twenty five thousand pounds or whatever, which to, was a lot of money then to do a remix. To do, yeah. mix, to do mixes, but you'd get your money back, and they deliver you like four or six cuts, you know, dubs, you know, yeah. weird stuff, you know, so they really gave your, they, they gave you your money's worth, but you know, they were on fire and they were at the point where they needed to maybe be tested a bit. And I think that we found ourselves at a good place at, at the right time. And they were also very, very, the other thing about them too, was that they were very curious um, as in Brit, who's here as well today. Yeah. And you know, the Philly scene and, and, and there was a few people within the American kind of uh, dance music community that were really, really watching and connecting and collaborating with the Britishness. So that's how the four heroes of this world connected with King Brit. That's why Ronnie and Louie and Kenny, they ended up swap, swap remixes. You know, Louie was fascinated by drum and bass. Louie and Kenny would come to Dingwalls to check out the jazz dancers. They were like, this is out of this world. This is like, what the hell is going on here? They were really into it. So, you know, we were all into each other, really. So it was just a case of how can I get those guys to make an amazing record? So I told them to do a few cover versions. I told them to do Black Gold of the Sun. I can't remember what. And had they, had they ever heard, have they heard Black Gold of the Sun before you? I think, took... I think Kenny might have done, because Kenny's got everything, right? Right. Kenny is deep. When it comes to collecting, there's like yeah. people who collect records, you know, a bit of stuff. Kenny's like on it hard. He's a collector. Um, yeah. 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 He's, he's so on it. Um, but yeah. So really, I mean, the, the magic really came. And this is when you got involved because I think we needed the, the thing was my, New Reek and Soul, they were so big, you couldn't pay for the whole thing on your own. I needed to get partners. And, you know, we got. Avex in Japan to throw some money in to make it count. And obviously you had the relationship with him. I had the relationship with you. It made total sense for us yeah. to team up. And then you hooked him up with Tommy Lipuma, who was the right. president. Next thing you know, George Benson's going George to Benson. Next thing, yeah, we got George Benson involved. Yeah. And, and it, was, it was interesting back then because, um, you know, we were all at separate, you know, Talking Loud was, a, was uh, an imprint of Poly, Polygram, which was a major, and Giant Step was an imprint of GRP, which was a part of MCA, which was a major, but they were totally separate companies. So it was kind of you and me brought these two big companies together to work together because they, they were big competitors, but we managed to really pool a lot of the resources to get that record done because otherwise it just the product that came out, the quality from the packaging, you know, to the, you know, just, just everything about the production, you know, it needed real, you know, cause again, back then you had to spend money to produce good records. So it, it was, it, you know, I take kudos to uh, our teams, our internal for putting that together. Cause it was very hard back then. Yeah. 
I know it was so hardcore, but it worked, and and you know what a record. And guess what? Next year's the 25th anniversary of New Eureka Soul, right? Oh <laughs> so my God! See what we can. Yes, it is. What we can work out for 2024. And, and I hope the, they can do the, some shows. Yeah, the interesting thing is that um, it is a timeless record, and it, again, back then, you know, mixing all those genres wasn't heard of because everyone just would release records in a lane, and that had multiple lanes. And again. I'd say a precursor for so many other albums that came out and and probably a way that got so many people into these different artists as well. They'd probably never heard of, um, you know, some, you know uh, Hilton Ruiz or, um, you know, you know, Lisa Fisher, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But or even Roy Ayer, some people might not have heard of him, but it was just bringing all those people together. So it was a pretty incredible thing. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, what can I say? La India, Dave Valentin was on there. Eddie Palmieri is on there. Eddie record. Palmieri, yeah. Man, yeah. you know, so we'll always look back on that one. You know, the the other record, I mean, you know, that certainly for me is a significant moment in my world, in my work as an A&R, sort of whatever, you know, you want to call, you know, what we did. Um, it was beautiful working with someone like Tommy Lapuma as well, you know, to have that kind of class, and elegance and support yeah. is really oh, yeah. important, yeah. you know, and yeah. that he, he, he helped make it happen. You know, yeah. it was Total very difficult. Class act. Yeah. Class act. It's, very, it's yeah. difficult, you know, it's difficult these days to, to kind of imagine majors kind of collaborating like that. I mean, even for me at the time, I did the first Root CP and, you know, I, tried to, yeah. I tried to sign them, you know, before they, they signed to Geffen with Wendy. Mm -hmm. And um, and uh, they, they they because I'd come all the way to New York, you know they they felt for me. They were like, man, these kids come to try and sign us. They were this little group from Philly, I mean, a big group, but they hadn't yet signed the big deal. Right. And uh, and so we managed to work out a way in which they moved to London, and they spent a, a year kind of learning their European kind of lessons and chops and traveling and basically living in my office yeah and uh and and allowed us to put out the, ver the, the first dp from the ground up and and they were more popular yeah. in in england and europe than they were in the states back then because they weren't really known outside of philadelphia man you got look all these groups were had to come to the uk i think you know whether you're even groups like outcast and and yeah. even people like erica jill yeah. scott you know, yeah. all these people, um, you know, most deaf, mm -hmm. um, Madlib, um, you know, all of these people, right? They got, they, because it, I think there was a sort of more um, f a fluid media um, here. It was less. Um, no doubt. Segregated I mean, having, having your radio show, which is, again, it's on national, even when you're on Radio 1, it's national radio. So people mm -hmm. nationally could hear it, whereas. In, in America, there isn't that same sort of like national thing. Giles, we, we are um, we're almost running out of time and they cut us off like on, on the hour. So is there anything uh, else that you want to before we before we end? This has been brilliant. I mean, we could go on for hours, but they won't let us. Is there anything else you want to say before? We oh, go? I just want to say I, I'm, I'm looking at names. It's a bit off putting when you're doing this because you can see all the names coming up. I'm seeing Ursula Rucker. I'm seeing Benji B. Um, I'm seeing a bunch of people King who Brent, joined. Jonathan to, yeah, Rodney, King, yeah. shout out to King. Uh, Lots of people. So thank Laura, you so much. Babchi, yeah. Mate, Morris, I've had the best life. 
I, I still adore what I do. I can't wait to get out in the clubs. Can't wait to hug and to enjoy that moment where we just hear the bass and we're there, we're dressed up and we feel good. And the sun's shining, the sun's coming up, the sun's going down. We've been a bit naughty, this, that or the other. I can't wait for that time to come back. And I right. I've had so many good times with you. It you know, will time. happen. It yeah. will happen. Giles, yeah. thank you so much. Thank you for doing right. this. Thank you for everything you do. You're an inspiration to all of us. And keep doing it. You know? I'm, right. I'm going to bed thank now. It's bedtime. <laughs> it's bedtime. It's five o'clock. <laughs> thank you for joining, everyone. Peace. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Giant Step podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe or follow us on Instagram at Giant Step. Music is by Cinego. Please also visit our website giantstep.net to learn more about our award-winning marketing agency.